um, do you realize, by the way, that there is an arrest warrant out against you? How are we going to go into Jerusalem? Where are we going to eat this meal? Where are we going to celebrate the Passover? Where are we going to remember God's kindness and God's goodness and, and the fact that God saves? Where are we going to do it, Jesus? We've got to go into Jerusalem somehow. We have to find a place within the city. And the Passover lamb has to be slain in the temple courts. That's the rules. Well, that's something that would have been difficult for Jesus to do, just by the way, to go to the temple and, and organize for the Passover lamb to be, to be slaughtered. Because the people who wanted to arrest him were in charge of the temple. Difficult to go into the temple without being arrested. So what do they do? They say to him, look, Jesus, where do you want us to go prepare the Passover meal for you? And so Jesus sends two of them into Jerusalem with some pretty weird instructions. Now the other Gospels tell us that, that the two that he sends along are, are Peter and John. That's what Luke 22, 8 says. And, and it's strange, he, Jesus doesn't say, go to uh, number 27, Pilcher Street, uh, and there's an upper room prepared over there. As, it's much more enigmatic than that. He says, as you go into the city, you'll, you'll see a man carrying a jug of water. And you're going to follow him, and whatever house he goes into, you're going to knock on the door and say, excuse me, but the teacher asks, where is my guest room so that I can, can have my Passover with my followers? And the guy will, will show it to you, and that's where you get ready. Have the Passover for us. Why doesn't Jesus just say, go to that house in that street? I think it's because Jesus really wanted to actually share this meal, this last meal, with his friends and his followers. And Jesus already knew about Judas. And what would be easier than to be arrested in a quiet corner of an upper room? I reckon if Judas had known where the last meal was to be held, he could easily have arranged for Jesus to be arrested there. We don't know, but, but I suspect that, that the reason for all the secrecy about where to go is because this week, this weekend, these 24 hours are just covered in a shroud of treachery and treason. It's possible that Jesus had made prior arrangements um, to go into this house. Uh, he'd been in and out of Jerusalem a few times that week. Uh, certainly seems likely that the house where they go, um, that the guy there is a follower. The owner of the house is a follower of Jesus because all the disciples have to say is, the teacher, and he clicks, he knows, okay, it's Jesus. So this is probably a follower of Jesus. Um, it's quite possible that when Mark was writing his gospel, that, that or it, it still wasn't safe to mention whose house had harbored Jesus when everyone was against him. In fact, it's, it's possible. There's a later church tradition that says that, that it's possible that this house in the upper room was actually the house owned by John Mark's parents. John Mark being the guy who wrote this gospel. It's certainly true that, that it's, a, it's a common place for meeting 
later on in Acts, we see them meeting in John Mark's mother's house. Because his dad has probably died by then. So it's not difficult for Peter and John to go into the city, really, to find this house. Uh, because, A, there's a man carrying water, and men do not carry water. That's what women are for. I'm married now. I know these things. Uh, and he was carrying a jug. <laughs> and I'm going to suffer for that one. And he was carrying a jug. Um, you don't carry jugs of water. You carry skins of water if you're a man. So it's quite easy for them to follow him. And they go and they find the room. And it's just as Jesus had predicted. Jesus knew about it. Did Jesus prepare it in advance? Maybe. I like to think maybe not. This is just a man who wants to serve the teacher and has a space available. And Jesus knew that this was a man who would serve him and honor him that way. So it's Thursday. Sorry, did I say Friday earlier? I did, didn't I? It's Thursday afternoon. It's Thursday afternoon. Um, by our reckoning. But you've got to remember that by Jewish reckoning, the, the day starts in the evening. And so we come, we, we find them, they go, they prepare the meal, they would have gone to the temple, got the lamb, got all the, the bitter herbs and cooked everything and prepared everything and got it all set up. And we find them um, here in, in verse uh, 17, in the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12 disciples. So it's now evening, it's Thursday evening by us, by our standards, but, but all of a sudden, according to Jewish standards, it's already Friday. It's already Friday. The last day has started. It's the day. The day when Jesus is slaughtered. It's the day when the Passover would be fulfilled. And it's a great meal. You know what? This is just one of the most amazing meals. Jesus really wanted to have this meal with his friends. I don't know, if you knew that you were going to die in 24 hours, even if you knew that you would be resurrected and that you would spend eternity with your friends, if you knew that, what a wonderful meal that last meal would be. What a bittersweet meal. What a meal. That's one of those meals where just so many things happen, and Mark doesn't mention everything that happens there, but it's, it's the meal where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And I said to them, you know what? I'm here to serve you. <coughs> yeah, I'm, I'm God, but I'm here to serve you. You know, it's the meal where Jesus looked at his disciples and says, you know what? I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. What a powerful thing to say at the last meal before Jesus is executed to turn to his disciples and say, you are my friends. You're my friends. And he says it to Judas as well, by the way. You're my friends. There's only one piece of conversation really that Mark records um, until he gets to the last to the communion, the, the bread and the cup conversation. And, and, and that's this, oh, this, this note of just such sadness. 
halfway through the meal. The meal's probably been going for a while. They've, they've been talking. And Jesus turns to them. And he looks at them as they were lying down at the table. They lay down at the table. Apparently it was comfortable. Um, Jesus looked at them and said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Matthew and John, um, at this stage, have Jesus identifying Judas as the betrayer, and probably quietly, because none of them pick up on it. None of the other 11 pick up on it. But for Mark, he doesn't mention Judas here at all. He's done it in verse 10 and 11. One of you eating here with me will betray me. And there's three responses that we get. One in Matthew from Judas. And and it's just a horrible, two-faced, serpent-tongued response. Surely not I, teacher. And we know that he's lying. In John 13, we have John leaning close to Jesus and going, Lord, who is it? I I know. I can trust you. Who is it? But the one we want to look at today is the one that, that Mark tells us about. In verse 19. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? And, and if you go back to the Greek, the, the, there's, a, there's a word there that, that the sentence is meant to, to say, I'm not the one, am I? I'm not, am I? Say no. I'm not the one, am I? I'm, I'm certain I can't be the one to betray you. There's this, this kind of dread that grabs hold of them. Could I be the one to betray you? These are the people who have recognized and said in Mark chapter 8, you are the Son of God. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. We know who you are. Would I know that? And betray you? The church father, Oregon, says that Jesus didn't specially point out the betrayer, but he, he spoke in such generalities so that each disciple there could have his character tested. Let me read you what he says. He says, 
if the eleven apostles, excluding Judas, were of good conscience, having not in any way betrayed their teacher, why were they grieved as though it might have been that he was speaking of one of them? Oregon says, I think that each of them knew from Jesus' teaching that human freedom is infinitely changeable and may easily be turned toward evil. Each disciple feared lest it might be he who was foreknown as a betrayer. In other words, they knew within each of them was the capacity to turn. It's not me, is it? And I wonder whether this isn't the first moment in the communion meal where we are drawn in ourselves. Jesus' question or statement, one of you will betray me. Shouldn't we, with the disciples, turn to him in verse 19 and say with great distress, that's not me, is it, Lord? You know, Jesus is giving a, a very big warning to Judas here. He's, he's, he's almost giving him a last chance, a, a final moment to say, you know, Judas, you can still return the silver. You don't have to do this. Because you see, although the cross was inevitable for Jesus because he chose to obey the Father's will, it was not, in, in some ways, it was not inevitable that Judas had to be the betrayer. Somebody had to be the betrayer. Judas chose to do it. Well, what, did Jesus, what did Jesus doing? He's, he's, he's speaking and, and saying to Judas, Hey Judas, I know what you are about to do. I know what you're about to do. Remember, he's just said you're my friend. He's washed Judas' feet. I know what you're going to do, Judas. You know, to the very last moment almost of Jesus' life, in the very last hours before his crucifixion, he is still working, I believe, for the sake of saving Judas. Because Judas has a choice. And I don't know how divine sovereignty and human freedom work together, but they do somehow. Because at the same time as Jesus offers Judas a choice, he feels the finality of his treachery. And he says, it would have been better for that one. And I'm sure Judas saw him put a glance towards him, whether he glanced at him or not. He said, it would be better for that one who betrays me if he had never been born. not Judas. <laughs> really sad story about Judas, but not me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? 
You know, Judas was the one who actually betrayed Jesus and handed him over to be, to be crucified. But actually Jesus could have turned to his friends and his disciples and said, each and every one of you will betray me. I mean, Judas will hand him over. Peter will stand as, just a few meters away from where Jesus is being tried by the, the chief priests and, and say, I never knew that man, I swear it. All the others would run away. Isn't that betrayal? Isn't that a betrayal of sorts? Isn't that something that all of us have done at times? Haven't all of us betrayed Jesus? I know I have. I know there have been times when I should have spoken up and I've kept quiet because I didn't want people to think me strange. Not a nice thought, is it? We betray him in so many ways. By the way we live. By the way we... By the way we don't think he has got things right. A lot of people think that Judas betrayed Jesus because he wanted to... He just didn't like the way Jesus was going. I don't know why he did it. I don't know how he justified it, but there are so many ways. And do you know, do you know what amazes me about the communion table? <coughs> about that last supper? is that Jesus knew not only that Judas was about to betray him in the most horrific, horrible way, but he knew what all of the others would do and he knows what we do. And he knows how often we are ashamed of him. He calls us to not be ashamed. Maybe ashamed is the wrong word, but Jesus knew and he knows. And yet he still said, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. I have eagerly desired. He knew what all of his followers would do and he still washed their feet and said, now you're clean. He knew what they would do and he still looked at them and said, you're not my servants anymore, you're my friends. You're my friends. Jesus knew what they would do and he loved them, despite it. And he knows what we have done and will do and he loves us despite it. And yes, he calls us not to do it. I mean, just look at what he says to Judas. This is a, a call to Judas. Judas, don't go there. 
Why does he do that? Because he is the one who is all about bringing back those who would betray him. In big ways or small ways. That, that's what the cross is about. It's about bringing back the betrayers. Those who have been friends and then rejecting. Those who, who in small ways and big ways betray. You see, Mark doesn't just record this meal because it's the last meal that Jesus eats. He records this because it's got something to say for us. He records it because Jesus says and does something important. as we read what Mark says about the Last Supper it's a bittersweet thing for us too shouldn't it be one of we're celebrating Jesus and what he's done and that he's coming back but it should also jolt us with that question and that answer from our own hearts have I would I can I betray you It's an answer, this meal. It's an answer. You see, the old covenant that that God set up under Moses and through Moses, where he said, I will be their God and they will be my people. All the time, the people failed and betrayed God. And they just realized there has to be a better way. God said, I am making a better way. There is a new covenant coming where I will write my law on your hearts and on your minds. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And all of my people will really know me and their sins and their wickedness will be forgotten. And you will no longer have to turn to one another and say, know the Lord because you will know me. Read it, Jeremiah 31, 31. This is what the Last Supper is all about. One of you will betray me. And yet, through that betrayal, through that betrayal, I will make a new covenant. And I'll start writing my law on your hearts and your minds and and, and I will change you so that you will change from being people who would betray to people who would be faithful. And you know what? We're not there yet. It's only when Jesus returns that that we will be made fully like Him and be as, as faithful as He is. But this is a promise of that. This is a promise to betrayers that one day we will not be betrayers anymore because the betrayed is faithful. I love that Jesus used bread. I reckon every time 
his disciples, just take and pass along. Every time his disciples had a meal, <laughs> they'd pick up the piece of bread and they'd go, oh, yeah, I remember. Take and pass along. I remember what Jesus said. said, take it, for this is my body. Take a cup, have a, have a, a drink. Don't wait for each other. Because this would have been shocking to them as well. You might notice what Mark says, that Jesus handed around the cup. One cup back then. He handed it around to them and they all drank. And only after they'd had their drink, have your drink, have your drink. Because after they had drunk, Jesus turned to them and said, You know what? You know what you've just drunk? You thought it was ordinary, ordinary, just a nice drink at the end of the meal. You thought it was just part of the Passover meal. No. What you've just drunk? That's the blood of the covenant. What does he say? He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. and they probably had a bit of difficulty taking a drink of wine again without thinking back to this meal. Without that question popping into their heads again, could I, would I, have I? Jesus' last words at the supper. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again from this day until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The time is coming soon. When the faithful betrayed one will come back to us, the betrayers, and we will be made new. And we will have a party. Just like the sheep but even more so. So the 24 hours have started, the, the most important 24 hours, because they lead up to the most important three days, which lead up to the most important event in the whole of history. They've started with a meal, they've started with a promise of betrayal, started with a challenge, started with heartache at the thought of Jesus' death, I started with the promise of all things made new.